Welcome back to the NatMatSci podcast, brought to you by the National Mathematics and Science College. This is the podcast to let you find out more about NatMatSci by hearing staff and students talking about their experiences, all unscripted and unplugged, so that you can hear what life is really like at the college. Today, we're back talking to Penny Robotham. But last time was all about the Chemistry Olympiads. This time, it's all about applying to medical school, an area where Penny has given lots of advice with all her experience in it. So we're about to hear what the process of applying for medicine in the UK looks like, what the UCAT and BMAT exams are, and how they're different to each other, and whether or not the application process is the same for each medical school. And let's just say they don't exactly make that part easy. But that's why we have Penny, of course, to guide and advise on this path. So join me right now as we find out about how to apply for med school with Penny Robotham. Penny, welcome back to the NatMat Side podcast. Thank you for giving up your time again to be here. How are you today? Uh, really well, thank you. Yes, it's an exciting time. We've been supporting students with their UCAS applications. It's pretty much an ongoing cycle, but it's always nice when you mm. click the button and the current year twos get their UCAS sent off to their chosen universities. So yeah, that's very exciting. What are some of the popular destinations this year? Oxford and Cambridge are always very popular. That means the students have to sit some university assessment tests. So the students, almost as soon as they've hit the button for UCAS, will be starting to really seriously prepare for their uh, PATs and MATs. And they've all got acronyms just to confuse people. Imperial and London are always very popular uh, Mm -hmm. with our students in particular. It, it, it really depends on the sort of subject choice, you know, the students are aspiring to, to top mm. universities. Mm. We support students also with international applications to America. We had a student go to Toronto this year as well. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, so it's all very exciting. And unfortunately, each country's got a slightly different application process. So mm-hmm. lots to get your head around. Enough to keep you on your toes, for sure. And when you say that you support the students with their applications, in what ways do you support? What's, what are the sort of queries or questions or concerns that the students might have? Oh, well, it's a very exciting time, but it can feel a bit overwhelming and there's lots of components to the application process. So the students apply electronically in the UK through a system called UCAS. They're required there to submit what we call a personal statement. So that's them describing their passion for their subject and also highlighting some of their skills and attributes and prizes and awards. They also have predicted grades for their examinations and teacher college references as well. So all of that takes a lot of time to put together and for a lot of students they need to make that decision about what they want to do as well. I'm not sure I knew seriously at 17, 18. Mm, Um, Sometimes I wonder whether I know now. (laughs) (laughs) So we try and help them with personality quizzes, you know, ways of accessing different career routes and just getting them really thinking about what might be suitable for them. And when you mention personal statements, I mean, how important are personal statements? Is is that just something that's added on the top as as a nice to have or is that a crucial part of the application? Well, the, the, the bizarre thing is it varies from university to university, so it'd be nice to give a straight answer <laughs> and say, well, but I, I know that there are some universities that probably don't put as much weighting on it and other universities where it forms a crucial part because it's their way of distinguishing between different students. Mm. Most universities in the UK don't interview. So in reality, what they've got in front of them is a list of predicted grades, a college reference, and then what the students written about themselves. Okay. 
you know, so they're, 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 they've got quite limited information in some cases. Mm. Obviously, if you interview somebody, you're pulling more out of them, and that's yeah. really helpful. Yeah. Um, but not all universities do that. Now, Penny, for anyone who's listening to this episode that may not have heard your first episode when you appeared on this podcast, tell us a little bit about what you do at the college, what your role is there and how you help the students. I'm Vice Principal at the National Mathematics and Science College. I've got lots of different roles. My most exciting one for me is teaching chemistry because I'm a passionate chemist. But I also support the students specifically with their UCAS applications and I'm involved in the interviewing and application process um, coming into the college as well. Okay. Now, as we know, this podcast is for anyone who's at the college or thinking of coming to the college or or connected with NatMatSci in any way at all. But this particular episode is all about medicine. But first of all, why do you feel like it's important to have an episode of the podcast that is dedicated to medicine? I think medicine is a slightly different degree route than a lot of other traditional degrees. Medicine is preparing you for a career specifically. Mm -hmm. A lot of other degrees, you're following your passion for a particular subject. So you might be a passionate mathematician and just want to immerse yourselves in maths. You might be very interested in physics or music and you just want to pursue that very academically. Mm. Whereas medicine is really training the future generation of doctors. So you're preparing yourself for a career at the end of it if you do what I would say is a straight degree so a degree in biology or biochemistry you would then have lots of options at the end of that degree Mm -hmm. so you're not committing yourself initially Mm -hmm. whereas with medicine whilst you can change career paths at the end of the medical degree obviously you've committed yourself to a lot of training and also you've been highly successful if you've got in to do medicine because it's hugely competitive Mm. you know you you want to make sure it's the right degree program for you because potentially well you know most most places are assuming that you're going to be a doctor at the end of it a medical doctor okay so talk us through what the application process is like for medicine in the uk well there are a couple of anomalies so you can apply directly to the university of Buckingham for example Mm -hmm. so you can do direct entry with them they also have a start date of January which is a little bit unusual most medical schools would have a start date September October Mm. St Andrews University also do an international foundation program so you apply to them if you're an international student or you can apply to them if you're an international student and you don't have a levels for that program so it's Mm -hmm. pre-a level Okay. But essentially, most of the 40 or so medical schools you would apply to directly via UCAS, which is the University and College of Business system mm-hmm. that most people in the UK will become familiar with. And you select up to four medical schools. So a little bit different to applying for a degree in maths or chemistry or physics, where you can apply to five universities. Mm. It's up to four medical schools. You also can't apply directly to Oxford and Cambridge. You have to choose one or the other. Nobody knows why. That's just tradition. Hmm. So part of the UCAS application process from a student's perspective is to write and submit a personal statement. And then the UCAS process also then would include predicted grades that their teachers are helping them with. And then as a college or a teacher reference as well. Most medical schools also require something called either the BMAT or UCAT exams. And because there are up to 40 medical schools, selecting the four that are relevant to you or best suited to you and your skill base needs some guidance and support as well. All right. So tell us a little bit about the UCAT and BMAT exams. What are they? What does that actually stand for, first of all? And how are they different to each other? 
So the BMAT is the biomedical admissions test. There are currently about eight medical schools in the UK that require that particular university application test as part of the application process. That particular test is sat around November time in UK schools. It's made up of three sections. So there's a thinking skills section. There's a scientific knowledge and application section, which a lot of students will do very well on. It covers a lot of the material they studied at GCSE, but it does include maths, chemistry, biology and physics. So if a student is no longer doing one of those subjects at A-level, they've got a little bit of extra work to do just to make sure they've kept up that skill set. Okay. And then There's a third section, which the students typically call the essay section, but I think that's a little bit misleading. It's actually called the writing task, and it's really testing how the students can communicate ideas and formulate arguments from maybe quite a limited amount of information. Okay. So imagine that you're a doctor and a patient has sat in front of you and presented you with some very vague symptoms Mm -hmm. and how do you sort of unpick those sorts of ideas and and then communicate Um, obviously communication is a really important skill if you're going to be a doctor because you're you're working as a team and you're obviously having to communicate difficult ideas medically to Mm. a lay person that doesn't understand all the terminology. I see I'm just going to stop you there for a second Penny because that's really interesting I think that ability once the students are trained up in this, to be able to hear information from a patient who comes in, but to identify which are the important parts, irrespective of which parts the patient might think are the the important parts. Is that right? The essay is more testing communication skills. I think the UCAT is probably the type of exam, which is the other type of medical school exam, that is perhaps asking the students to pick out crucial bits of information on their... on the first section for that one, so, so a lot more schools require the UCAT and students sit that. It's a it's an online computerised examination, takes about two hours mm-hmm. and they sit that between July and September of mm-hmm. the academic year that they then would be doing the application for. Okay. That one has got, again, different sections, but one of the sections there is about asking students to be able to pick out crucial information, sometimes from a hugely wordy text Mm -hmm. and draw conclusions from that really quite quickly. Mm -hmm. And I think that relates more to, you know, a patient in front of you giving you a limited amount of information and you drawing relevant conclusions from what they've said. They have a section which is to do with decision making, quantitative reasoning, abstract reasoning. So a little bit like 11 plus type questions if students are are sort of familiar with those, if they've Mm -hmm. come across those before. And there's also a fourth section which is called situational judgment. Mm -hmm. That's given a band weighting as opposed to a numerical score. And some universities put different weightings on the situational judgments. So there are some universities that won't look at you if you get a band four on situational judgments. Others that are less, weight it less strongly or less highly. But that consists of ethical and professional scenarios. So it, it needs, again, a lot of training. Once, once you've looked at some of the questions and you've looked at some of the logical answers... It begins to make sense, but you've got to start to put yourself in that sort of doctor's mindset. Mm. And apparently the questions are discussed sort of between doctors themselves and they come up with what they think is the best response to a situation that's been presented to them so it may be that they're which I think is probably most relevant to a student at 18 they they 
hear of a fellow student who's not coping on their course and the student is talking about just leaving what advice would they give them so I think a student at 18 can put themselves in that scenario because they as you go through your A-levels they will have met difficult challenging times and had students say oh I don't know if I'm doing the right subject Mm -hmm. and the advice that they might have given their peers but there are other much more sort of medical specific scenarios and the students really do need to be aware of the code of conduct for for doctors as agreed by the British Medical Association and also they need to be aware of sort of ethical considerations which obviously isn't something you would normally cover in in an A-level programme, for example. You know, that's not in A-level biology, it's not in A-level chemistry. Applying to be a doctor requires almost you considering your application as a fifth A-level and, you know, putting in the same amount of work to that application as you would if you were, you know, doing an A-level in maths or physics or English for example. Gosh, this is all incredible. I had no idea at all that there was so much involved in applying for medicine like this. It, it, and it's important that I think students appreciate that really early. Mm-hmm. One of my favourite questions to ask a student who tells me that they want to be a doctor is, first of all, I ask them why. Okay. And then I then sort of turn it around and say, you know, when they've given me the, 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 the common answer, which is about helping people supporting people you you know but I then turn it around and say so why don't you want to be a nurse then because surely a nurse displays all those attributes Mm. and that that you're describing Mm. and some students find it really really challenging to be able to say why they want to become a doctor it's one of those professions which is held in very high regard Mm -hmm. And it's making sure that they're applying for the right reasons Mm, and mm. they've really considered all the reasons for their application. They're not just drifting into it. It's too difficult a career. You know, you think of all the things a doctor has to deal with on a daily basis. Mm. You you know, it's absolutely essential the students really thought very hard if if they are able to cope with that and want to do it. Mm. They've heard, everybody's heard of a doctor everybody's come across doctors it's yeah. one of those professions we've all met mm. I think sometimes when you've got a student that's passionate about um, say biology or biochemistry they find it harder to say what would I do with it at the end yeah whereas you can see what you do at the end of a medical yeah. degree can't you do you think it's wrong of us in society to hold doctors in higher regard than nurses Personally, yes, absolutely, because I've met some absolutely amazing nurses. In fact, one of our we have a medical society at the college, and one of the external speakers that we get to come in is a lady who is a live kidney transplant donor. So she donated her kidney to somebody who was in need. She talks to my students about her experiences of that and how she felt the surgeon was almost like an engineer and Mm -hmm. treated her body like a machine Mm. and saw very little of him Mm post-operation, whereas the nursing team were really supportive with all the emotional needs that she had. Mm. And they saw her from the beginning of the procedure all the way through to the end of the procedure. Mm. So they developed that real relationship with the patient and they see the treatment all the way from the beginning to the end Mm. whereas a surgeon would would come in and 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 see you for the surgery but then you may have little or no contact with them ever again Mm. Um, Mm. and my mum's had a similar experience she recently had a hip operation and she's only met the consultant twice 
once when they were deciding whether she needed the operation and on the day of the operation itself she's got a much stronger relationship with the nursing team Mm -hmm. who were doing an amazing job of helping her sort of you know recover fully Mm. so it's really asking the students why why doctor why not nurse Mm. because nurses when, when you go up the nursing salary bands you know it's not a massive difference in pay there is when you get to consultant level as as a doctor but Mm -hmm. you know a nurse a senior nurse can earn a very attractive salary and if 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 a student is saying to me that they want this relationship with their patients Mm -hmm. I do begin to pick away about you know will they do they think they're going to get that as a surgeon for example Mm. or as a as, as a GP where you might have such a huge community of patients that you're seeing Mm how many will you really develop that relationship with? Um, I don't know your experience, but I know that I never see the same GP twice, for example. Mm-hmm. I don't have that continuity of care that perhaps traditionally people used to have. My, my mother-in-law has seen the same doctor for forever and they've built up that relationship. But in, in a busy practice, in a, certainly in a, in a city, mm. you may not see the same doctor regularly. Without wanting to sound too controversial, do you think there's ever any pressure from parents to want their son or daughter to do uh, to become a doctor instead of become a nurse? I've worked in schools where I would say yes, absolutely, that would be the case. Mm-hmm. It varies obviously from family to family. I think, interestingly, I, I've met the exact opposite where parents have been actively talking their son or daughter out of becoming a doctor Mm. because I think they understand the demands of the career and they know their son and daughter better and they sort of say are you sure this is really for you Mm. I I had a student a few years ago and and her mum was very much trying to persuade her not to go down the the medical route Mm. Um, and interesting the the daughter made her own decision about that halfway through her A-levels and she said do you know my mum was right we don't necessarily get that very often as parents do we Mm. As children admitting that yes actually we were right so it can vary it interestingly at the national mathematics and science college because a lot of our students are international it also seems to vary from country to country Mm. as well Mm. the different countries hold the medical profession in different sort of esteem so Mm. yes Mm. it does vary Penny, we need to bring this to a close in a minute, but if anyone's heard anything and wants to get in touch with you or get in touch with the college, what's the best way for them to reach out and connect? Via the college website would be the first point of call. We've got email addresses on there and anybody is very welcome to get in touch with us at any point. Applying for for medicine is a complicated process Mm -hmm. and we would be happy to speak to anybody who who wanted some advice and guidance about it. At our college, we have a very active medical society, which is student-led. So we're trying to give the students an opportunity to showcase the skills and the attributes that they're going to need for medicine. That includes leadership, teaching, presenting, teamwork, and community involvement as well. Mm. So the work experience and the volunteering, that is also a key part of a a medical application. Just before we go, just tell us a little bit more about that society, because that sounds really good fun. It is fantastic. We get a lot of students coming to the Medical Society because they're interested in careers associated with medicine rather than necessarily becoming a doctor at the end. So we've Mm. got a student at the moment who is passionate about neuroscience. Mm -hmm. We've had other students who are applying for biomedical science or dentistry or vet science. 
We try and make it student-led, so the students are very involved in deciding who the outside speakers are they would like to come and present to us. Um, currently, the students are developing skills in uh, histology and anatomy. We're looking at case studies to diagnose dementia and Alzheimer's, and we're preparing for something called the Brain Bee competition, so uh, a national competition where students can showcase some of their talents as well. So it's, it's very exciting. Awesome. That, that we does do sound good. lots of interesting events. Mm. Sounds fantastic. Well, look, Penny, thank you for being here. Thank you for, for, for giving up your time to give us an understanding of, of how that all works and what the next step for a lot of students can be in medicine. Thank you so much. Absolute pleasure. Lovely to speak to you again. So that was Penny Robotham sharing with us all her expertise and advice on applying to study medicine after leaving the college. Thank you for joining us from home for this, Penny. We appreciate you giving up your time for it. Now, if you're listening to this and you'd like to get in touch with the college, just visit www.natmatsci.ac.uk. But our next episode is coming out soon. So in the meantime, thank you for listening to this one. Don't forget to follow or subscribe so you get future notifications. And we look forward to seeing you next time. Bye for now.